There isn't a person in cricket who has seen as much as today's Maverick Sports podcast guest, but even by the wild standards of South African sport, the last two weeks in local cricket have been amongst the most dramatic ever. Not since the Hansi Cronier match-fixing scandal has South African cricket been in such a state of disarray. Ideally, it should be in a state of introspection too, having lost an 80 million rand a year sponsorship from Standard Bank, having four board members resign, the CEO suspended pending a forensic audit, as well as many other issues plaguing cricket South Africa. Tony Irish, the outgoing CEO of the South African Cricketers Association, has been at the coalface for many of the goings-on. I'm Craig Ray, and thanks to the break in load shedding, I'm glad to say welcome to Tony. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for chatting to me. Well, it's been a dramatic week. But before we get into Cricket South Africa and everything else that's been going on, just uh, maybe explain to the listeners what the South African Cricketers Association is, how did it come about, how long have you been going, and what is your fundamental role in South African cricket? So the South African Cricketers Association is the Players Association. It's the Players' Union. Um, It represents all 310 professional cricketers in South Africa. That's right from the Proteus level, men and women, uh, through to the franchise level and down to the uh, provincial cricketers. So it's the collective representative of the individuals, of, of, the, of the players. Often not to be confused with um, being individual agents, we look after the, co- co- the collective interests of the players and that means that we've also got to look critically at the system, we've got to look at the health of the game, we've got to look at, at all of the things which players rely on short term, medium term and long term for their careers and their livelihoods in the game. And I mean, that's obviously a big undertaking because there's lots of, as you've mentioned, these levels. Um, pro tiers have different needs to a provincial player who's in the sort of semi-professional league. Just uh, we, We've got a six franchise system, so those are all professional players and you've got the pro tiers and the pro tiers women. The level below the uh, 15 provinces, are they semi-professional players? They are professional players. Right. Um, you know, they earn a lot less than the, than the uh, franchise players, but they are full-time professional cricketers under contract, and so they are very clearly fall under our membership. Um, and, you know, the, the, the systems and the structures in cricket have been developed by us, uh, together with Cricket South Africa, to be fair, over a 17-year period. We've been going for 17 years. Uh, we've uh, Every year, uh, the players have all been members of the Players Association. I can't recall a player who hasn't been a member. Um, and so, you know, we have a, a very big stake in the overall business of, of cricket and in the structure and system. Do the players have to um, become a member of SACA? Are they compelled to or is that a, an individual choice? No, not compelled to at all. But it's a bit of a no-brainer for the players. The, the, the benefits that are delivered to the players by SACA the services that they get from SACA, the representation and the voice that they get from SACA, um, I think is is the players are fully aware of that and fully back that. And you pretty much are their voice on the board of big decisions in cricket, I would imagine. Yes. Um, on many issues, the players under their contracts are not allowed to talk about certain things or to express certain sentiments about things, which we're, we're happy about as individuals, uh, but that means that we need to be a strong voice for them. Yeah. Now... You said 17 years. So how did this sort of come about? How did, um, I mean, cricket has always been a professional sport, you know, unlike rugby that only went professional in the mid-90s. So, so what sort of brought about the, the, the Players Association, if you like? Yeah, so it is really the advent of professionalism in cricket and also following the, the Hansi Cronier saga where it was clear that the players collectively um, had no representation at the time. Um, it also 
followed the formation of very strong players associations in uh, Australia. Um, England has had a players association for a number of years, probably 35 years, I think. Mm. But in the early 2000s, the players' movement in cricket started gathering momentum across Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, England, etc. And um, we formed the Players' Association in 2002. That was done by John T. Rhodes, who's the first uh, president of, of SACA and myself. Um, John T. obviously moved off to, to do other things, mm-hmm. and I was left to run the Players' Association, um, which I have been doing for the last 17 years. And um, with things like IPL that came about later, do you negotiate for the players on behalf of IPL, or is that a separate thing altogether? That's separate. Uh, that's players go and play in the IPL and these leagues around the world as individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have uh, a voice in in the way that they are contracted or in the issues at the IPL, for example, or any of the other leagues. But we play a very big role in um, determining and and setting the arrangements in terms of which they are released by Cricket South Africa to go and play in these events. So here you are, a Cricketers Association. You've had some ups and downs. How would you define your SACA's relationship with CSA over the years? Because you've probably been through four or five presidents, four or five CEOs at, at CSA in that time, and you know, different coaches, different captains of the national team. What what has the relationship been like, generally speaking? Yeah, we've been through a number of CEOs, a number of presidents, a number of national coaches, national captains, etc., um, when we first started, um, there was a very big issue right at the outset of that, and that related to the to the World Cup um, in 2003 here in South Africa. Um, so there was a, immediately a big issue that needed to be resolved. The players stood firm with, with Saka in that issue. Um, we managed to get a good solution, both for the game and for the players in that. And that started really um, the the first signs of the fact that collectively, if the players stood together, they would the, that was the way to go um, as far as our voice is concerned and resolving things that affected all the players. Would that have been over image rights and things like that at that particular World yes, Cup? Yes, it was. Yeah. It was about that issue. Yeah. Um, after that, they weren't very happy with SACA, the administrators. It was a new organization. Uh, there were some quite aggressive guys in, in Cricket South Africa at the time. Percy Son was the president. Um, and he was quite a fearsome fellow, actually. Um, and um, so the first six to eight months were very difficult. But we always knew that if the players stood together, um, that uh, that would change. And then... Um, <clears throat> Sorry, just to interject, it must have helped having someone like John T at the beginning as one of the players, uh, as your president, because that would have brought a lot of the players on board, I would imagine. Yes, absolutely. Um, John T as the president, you know, uh, Sean Pollock was the captain at the time. Uh, these players were all very supportive, um, but in particular, the senior provincial players, as they were at the time, because this was before the franchise system, mm. they were all very, very uh, supportive of, of this. Um, and, you know, that followed, uh, uh, the, there was a, re, a restructure following the, the, the 2003 World Cup in South African cricket, and they needed to go from... Um, I think it was 12 provinces at the time to to six franchises. Ironically, they're trying to go back again. Yeah, we'll get to that a little now, later. Um, but that, that's what's needed to happen for the future of South African cricket for a strength versus strength system um, on the field and also for financial reasons. And the key to that was obviously getting us on board and buying into that and yeah. making sure that, there were, that the, the players were brought with that. Um, we were approached um, after fairly icy period. Uh, we believed in the restructure. 
Um, and so we worked together with Cricket South Africa to affect that. And in fact, there was not one player dispute over, over that uh, restructuring phase. That set the a period of very constructive relationship between Cricket South Africa during Gerard, Gerald Majola's uh, time. Uh, as the CEO, we worked very closely. Uh, I think we were respected um, and trusted um, by that administration. And although along the way, uh, the first, um, if I can say, 10, 10 or 12 years, there were a lot of issues and nego- hard-fought negotiations, but those were generally done behind closed doors as they should be. And there was respect, um, mm. and we found solutions um, in all of them. Um, and that really changed um, when the current leadership of Cricket South Africa took over in uh, after the collapse of the Global League, which is really in late 2017. Well, I guess that segues beautifully into where we are now, because um, it's been a difficult period. You have collective agreements. You have a, a voice. You constitutionally, SACA should have a voice uh, in in all decisions. And that seems to have been ignored in the last uh, two years, let's call it, uh, by by the leadership. We've now got um, current CEO Tabang Marowe on suspension. Uh, We've had some board defections, as I said in my intro, I think three, maybe four, Jack Madison, I think was the latest to go last night. Um, President Chris Nanzani is still there. We'll get into all those, what's happened in the, and unpack that a little bit, but just to, in terms of uh, this this change back up to 12 teams after, as you've just described, you had to negotiate hard to go to six teams. Now we're going back up to 12. First of all, you weren't consulted as SACA, um, certainly not consulted in the correct manner. Um, just give us a little bit of background to how that decision sort of came about and what was your reaction to it? Yeah, well, I guess it was precipitated by the financial position that Cricket South Africa found itself in. Um, it's openly, they were forecasting um, a deficit of 654 million over the four-year period. It's very important to understand that cricket doesn't budget in one year uh, at a time. It's not, um, the game really needs to be looked at in many ways, including financially over a four-year cycle, because you have a lots of ups and downs during the, that, that cycle, depending on who you play, because right. that's how you generate revenue. Um, so there was a forecast of 654 million deficit over the four year cycle. And that was, which is massive. I mean, to an outsider, I mean, that sounds unsustainable. I mean, I can, anyway, but it just to me sounded, I thought I read it wrong the first time I saw it. Absolutely. Um, in all my 17 years of involvement, I've never seen cricket budgeting for a deficit at all. Um, let alone a deficit of hundreds and hundreds of millions of rands. Um, that had to be addressed. Um, we were, we were very keen to address that with Cricket South Africa. And there was only one way to address that. And that was by agreement because all of the contracts that we had in place, the four year agreements, the arrangements around players were all locked in under a collective agreement on the six franchise and 14 province structure. So only one way to deal with it. And that was to unpack that together. Mm-hmm. And find, try and find some solutions. We were very unhappy with uh, the actual forecast. We actually think that the 654 uh, deficit was understated. And understated. That, and that it was wow. significantly more than that for a number of reasons. Can you give us some of those reasons? Yes. The, the MSL, this new league, was not included 
initially in the 654, and we've seen um, a declared loss of 110 million in the first year of it. Um, we don't think that there'll be much different this year. So there will be significant loss, losses. And if you if you take that over four years, you know we're talking about adding hundreds of millions of yeah. rands in to the to the deficit. Um, we, we also believe that the value of international cricket matches, and this is a global issue, it's not a South African issue, that the value of that, that has come down um, across the world and that that had in fact been factored into those uh, those forecasts either. Um, so we started asking questions, a lot of questions. And we wanted you're detail. entitled to do. Yes, and we wanted detail. Um, and at that stage, then we got removed from the finance committees. We got... Uh, the information, the kind of financial information at the level of detail that was normally provided to us was then shut off. Um, and that was a matter of extreme concern. Um, Cricket South Africa said it needed to restructure uh, to a 12-team system. Um, and we, and when we asked for reasons of that, the reasons didn't make sense. In addition, there were... Uh, there's a, there's a very detailed and clear process to be followed under our agreements with Cricket South Africa if a domestic restructure is to take place. And that provided for prior consultation with us. Um, and if we couldn't agree on issues, then a certain process had to be followed. None of that was done. If I could just jump in there, I mean, I guess that means for the layperson, the players are getting paid X under the current agreement. If they change it, it changes because they were cutting budget, they were spreading it over. Would that change the players' income? And 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 therefore, you couldn't do that without some sort of negotiation with the union. Yes. Well, the the once you make the decision to change the structure and go to twelve teams at the top flight instead of six teams, there are certain unavoidable consequences of that. Um, you're merging two structures into into one. Uh, there's a loss of at least seventy contracts. Of our players, so seventy of our players out of three hundred odd, uh, in fact uh, two hundred and eighty, if you take away the, Pro- the Proteus players, right. the men and women, um, would lose their jobs. Um, and it was obvious that to us that the franchise players, uh, existing franchise players, would have to be paid less. Um, it would be a complete breach of the existing MOU and all the arrangements around it. Um, in addition, there were very good cricket reasons that we, we questioned, um, yeah. including the fact that you would by, be diluting the standard of cricket at your top flight level. And also, uh, you know, a, a very important factor from a cricket point of view was that the vast majority of our domestic players would not be playing T20 cricket in the way that they had been accustomed to playing because the domestic uh, T20, which used to be called the Ram Slam, was canned. Mm. Um, and that was replaced by the MSL. But the, if you look at the numbers of players in the MSL, a large number of those players are foreign overseas players and Proteus players, which left only 58 spots available for our approximately 280 domestic players. And that is the bulk of your membership. That is the bulk of our membership. Who, who wouldn't have had the same exposure to T20 cricket. They would, they would, we weren't sure of whether the Africa Cup 
would continue. But even if it did continue, that was played over two, two or three weekends at the beginning of the season. Um, so we had all these questions that we wanted answers to before the decision was actually made. And um, none of that was done. Um, the, the decision was announced without us um, claiming that they had consulted with mm. us and that had never, ever taken place. I mean, and, and in today's Daily Maverick, we're running a piece and there's the extracts from those emails that came out of your court papers. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's shocking. Um, your president wrote a letter. But I, it's now announced. It's in the public domain. This is what we're going to do. You obviously go back to them and try and negotiate again. Well, you know, Cricket South Africa's attitude was, we'll make the decision and then we'll consult you ex post facto after the decision. And we said, there are certain um, consequences that are unavoidable from the decision, the ones that I've just mentioned at very least, and there, and there are more, and that, it, that we needed to be consulted to understand those, the effect of those on the players and on the game prior to the decision being made so that we could, we could understand whether it was the right decision mm. or not and how, to, how our players were going to be affected. We, the decision was simply forced on us and we would have to consult ex post facto, and we would have no ability to deal with the consequences of it. So what was your next step um, with the announcement, and how did you approach it then? Because they clearly have now shut you out. So w- what did you do next? Yeah, well, before the decision was made, we, we tabled many concerns about, mm. about the financial position and about the talk of domestic restructure, and we never even got a reply. Uh, formally, we tabled it to the CEO, to the, and, and then again to the president directly, the, the uh, chairman of the finance committee at the time. We didn't even get a reply, Greg. Is that, is that, was that unprecedented in your time? I mean, you, you would have had, I'm sure, issues with previous regimes is the wrong word, but, but you would have had disagreements with Arun and uh, Gerald Majola, but would you always have had communication? Absolutely, because there was respect. We don't mind if there's disagreement, mm. um, but there was absolutely no acknowledgement of the, our concerns. There was no acknowledgement of the uh, provisions of the agreement that had just been signed less than a year earlier um, mm. about how the process should take place. Um, even after the decision happened, we asked for it to be reconsidered. Um, again, just no, no responses at all. Um, the attitude was, we'll consult you later. And so we had no option but to go the legal route and to challenge the decision based on the breach of our agreements and um, all of the other things uh, relating to lack of consultation um, in, the, in that situation. And you obviously filed those court papers, and I think it was in May of this year. Correct. Um, so we are seven months on. Uh, and what's happened? I mean, legal processes do take time, but has there been any uh, improvement, any dialogue uh, about it, or has it just been through lawyers now? So, uh, yes, we filed those papers in May, uh, and it's an application, which means that all the evidence is on affidavit. It's not like you have to go to trial on yeah. this issue. So that is a much shorter process than a, a trial process, and there are rules of court which dictate the time periods within which you must file your papers, you must file responses, you must file replies, um, etc., before the matter is then set down for hearing at, at the court. 
Now, if Cricket South Africa had complied with those time periods in the rules, we would, this application would have been heard already. It would have been heard in late October, early November. Um, instead, what happened was Cricket South Africa didn't comply with any of the rules of court. Uh, delayed uh, responses, delayed the filing of documents at court, um, and eventually only filed their, their, their answering affidavits in late November. Um, so what that's done is that's created a huge amount of uncertainty. Um, uncertainty for players, uncertainty for franchises, current franchises, uncertainty for provinces, uncertainty for everyone, um, you know, commercial stakeholders, about what's going to actually happen next year. What is yeah, the structure going to be? It's, it's supposed to start soon, right? 2020, the, the new structure. I mean, if yes, it, it logistically, you've got to be working on that if you were… Yes, it starts you know. in… in uh, it takes effect on the 1st of May 2020, but there are all sorts of processes in place that start kicking in in January, February about the contracting of players. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that starts with the Proteus players, that starts, it then goes down to the franchise players and then the provincial players so that it all, the system can work well. And, and those parameters and arrangements and time, uh, windows are all specifically set out in our agreements with Cricket South Africa. Now, those, those will not be able to work. Um, uh, and besides anything else, because we don't know what system we're going to. Um, as far as we're concerned, we've got agreements in place which um, secures the current system, six franchises and 14 provinces. Um, and until that changes, we will continue to, to um, say to the players that that's the system going forward. We are very happy, and we've made it very clear going back to February, that we, have, we, are, we, are, we want to be responsible. If there is a, a big financial challenges, which we, we think there are, then... We're prepared to sit down and address that with Cricket South Africa. This is about the survival of the game. Yeah. Um, if the players have to take a hit, um, you know, financially, then we will do that. But we have to understand how big the problem is. Um, we have to understand how big that deficit is. You can't address the problem unless you know the size of the problem. We also have to understand that the players are not the only ones who are going to take the hit here. The whole organization needs to be part of this, um, part of a cost-saving exercise. We've offered that several times, numerous times, since February, all been ignored. So the, the increase to 12 teams, I'm failing to see how that's going to save costs. Yes, it might cut off, as you mentioned, 70 players from the roster. But... Is that is that is it as simple as that? It's going to it's going to affect seventy take seventy salaries off the bill because you're now increasing six more teams into a higher bracket of professional players. So I would assume they're going to be paid slightly more. So does it actually save any money by changing the structure? Well, they claim it was going to save money, but, and they gave us a figure, and but we they said, didn't explain it. Or unpack it. We said we want to look at that figure. W what sits in that figure? Because we know then that figure there would be log logistics match costs that would be saved. Mm. Um, if you're playing, uh, if you're going merging one structure, uh, two structures into one, there'll probably be less matches played. So there'll be a, a cost saving of that. Sure. We were given no detail about what the saving was. We were given no detail about whether how much players were going to be cut by. We were given no detail about how exactly how many players would lose their jobs. 
And we, we as the Players Association, have got a job to do in representing our players and making sure that, uh, you know, the, the, if there is going to be changes, that the downside of the changes and how they affect players is mitigated as much as possible. Yeah. And that's your role as a, as a, as a union. I suppose the, the the real fundamental question is, and maybe you, you can't answer this with CSA, but you've certainly seen enough on the inside. How did we get here in such a short space of time? It seems like out of nowhere, uh, CSA were announcing a six hundred and fifty-four million rand projected loss over the next for the rest of the cycle, which is to twenty twenty-two, as far as I'm aware. So, I mean, how did we get to this point so quickly and rapidly, and 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 the deterioration and the board, who's clearly um, not putting any checks and balances in places uh, in place against the likes of the CEO and the president it seems like no one is is giving oversight so maybe you could help us understand how South African cricket got to where it is in seemingly 2024 months in one word Craig leadership the business of cricket is a very difficult business to run there are very many moving parts and financially, as I explained, it's very difficult to run because you have ups and downs. You budget over four-year cycles, and there are many elements that go into the generation of of revenue. Um, and and a lot of those are linked to the international structures, you know, and the decisions taken at the ICC level. So there are challenges there that this new leadership inherited. But the job of the leadership is to deal with those challenges um, and to to respond to um, whatever needs to needs to happen and not to compound them mm. and instead of us seeing a response to these challenges we've seen a compounding of of them and then n- new and more difficult issues added and controversy and and decision making which um, can only be described as extremely poor last week standard bank stepped down I mean, we know that they were coming to the end of their, their, their cycle, but several sources have told me that that would have been um, an easy renegotiation, renegotiation under different circumstances, different leadership, as as you, you've used the word. Um, so that's another massive shot in the foot. I mean, 80 million rand a year might have been, might have been more for another four-year cycle. So that's another few hundred million off the off the table. Um, Paying off um, the the T20 Global League, all those teams were set up. There were a lot of compensation payments made in that. They lost a few hundred million rand. So um, there are a lot of bad decisions. So Mr. Moroe has been suspended, but he can't be the only one. He can't be the only person who's guilty in this. He's got to have been aided and abetted by the board. Well, let's just talk about Standard Bank first. Um, Standard Bank has been a fantastic sponsor of cricket for many, many, many years. Ever since I've been involved, they took a bit of a break for mm. four or five years, I, I think, and then came back strongly into cricket, and they are a fantastic sponsor to have. Um, they Not only do they invest heavily in cricket, but they invest in in linking their brand to the game, right. um, and in particular to the Proteus team. They are the team sponsor across all, all of our formats, and it is unprecedented in South African cricket that the sponsors uh, start voicing what they're yeah. voicing now. Well, in most professional sports, the sponsors might go behind the scenes, but you never see them publicly expressing their concern. Yeah, and it's not 
just Standard Bank. It's um, other sponsors who are um, who have been there as well. Sunfoil um, was a sponsor for many, many years. They're still involved in cricket at, at, a, at a sort of more development level, but they strongly uh, voiced their, their views uh, about this. It, it's very unusual for the sponsors to do what they're doing now, and I expect that there will be more. Mm. Um, Who's the sp- left? <laughs> <laughs> the sponsorship market is tough. It's very tough in South Africa. Um, and to lose big sponsors is something that um, is very difficult to replace at that level. Yeah. And we've had so much in the last two weeks. I suppose this whole thing really started snowballing, ironically, with the the revoking of the accreditation of five journalists. Somehow the media became central to the story. And, and that seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back for, for several people. Standard Bank being one, Sunfoil another, a couple of uh, members of the board. And, uh, and it, it appears that Mr. Murray really overreached on that occasion. Like he, he didn't anticipate the fallout that would come from that. And that set in this, this chain reaction in place. Um, is it that simple or do you think it was already going to break very soon? No, it was heading that way. Um, as I said to you, we've had, from the minute the new leadership was installed, we've had a number of issues and the chasm or the, the split between the players represented by us and Cricket South Africa started happening. And that has just steadily opened up into a chasm. Um, you know, we have been trying to deal with issues for over two years with this new leadership, who immediately, by the way, announced when they came in that uh, they announced their intentions about Saka and the players, that they were uh, not did not recognize the role that we played in the game. Um, and that that annoyed and made a lot of players very unhappy. So they announced, you know, what their approach was going to be. And we've had two years of dealing with frustrations, um, non-responses, marginalization of us in particular, marginalization of other good people in the game uh, around the national team. Um, and this has just been getting steadily worse. Um, you know, we've found that, you know, we, that 15 years we've addressed these issues primarily behind closed doors. Um, it was impossible to do that. We had no responses, no replies, no engagement with us, um, except really at a very surface level in order to kind of tick the box type of thing. Um, and so we, we realized that the only way to, to deal with things was to take the legal route um, on our breached agreements and, um, and address it that way. And of course, that immediately moves the moves things into the public domain, and we haven't shied away from that. Yeah, you know, we've we've called it as it is, because it this is we believe that that's necessary, and we're getting no responses directly from Cricket South Africa anyway. So you're right that it snowballed with the um, and took on a life of its own with the the attempt to silence the members of the media. But those members of the media had already been writing about a lot of the things that were happening, and that's why there there was an attempt to silence them. So it was gaining momentum, um, and it was always going to reach this point. But there have been dramatic things in the last two weeks, the the media, uh, uh, one in particular, the resignation of a number of of board members, in particular independent board members, um, us calling for for action, sponsors bailing out of the game. Um, 
these are the types of things that just bring it to a head very quickly. Well, now that it's come to a head, we're sitting in a situation with where to now, I suppose, for, for South African cricket. You've still got your court action pending, maybe, but now with Shark Fall there as acting CEO, um, will things change? Um, we've had Graham Smith unveiled this week as the director of cricket, which seems to be a bit of a band-aid job, but I, I guess you know it, it's, it's as good an appointment as you're going to get under the circumstances. The, the team itself has got a series against England coming, the Proteus team. Um, how, you know, what, what sort of power does Jacques Fall have to, to try and rectify this thing? Because he's still sitting with eight members of the board that were there under the previous uh, administration. So how, how can he fix this with the same people who've created this mess? Yeah, um, that's why we've called for the board <laughs> to step down. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. It's too early to, to really work out how much power Jacques is going to be given. But the point is that he's already engaged us. We had a meeting yesterday um, in good faith about what we think the solutions are. Now, that hasn't happened for two years. So he's been on the job 48 hours, and he talks to you about the collective agreement and the, the restructuring immediately. Yeah. And, and asking us what we think the solutions are going to be. Because as I mentioned earlier, and as I've said so many times to Cricket South Africa, these types of things, particularly restructuring um, financial issues, etc., cannot be resolved except by agreement between us. Yeah. So at what stage Cricket South Africa expected all these problems to go away without engaging us, I don't know. But at least now we're being engaged. Yeah, so that's a start. We've got Paul talking to you guys again. He's got to try and find sponsors. Does he go cap in hand to Standard Bank and ask them to reconsider and come back to the negotiating table? Does he go look for someone else? Um, as far as I'm aware, there's still no convener of selectors and selector yet. I know we've got Graham Smith in place. That hasn't happened from a cricketing point of view. Uh, there's the situation with Enoch and Quare, the, the coach. Is he going to stay on? That might be a Graham Smith decision in the next three months. So so where does he set his sights? Uh, if you... If you could whisper in Jacques Falls ear, what's, what's the next step for him? <laughs> well, there, there, are, there are, I would categorize what Jacques has got to do, and I put it into two basic baskets. The one is around the national team. The national men's team, the Proteus, bear in mind, produces, is responsible for producing somewhere between 60 and 70 percent of the revenues of Cricket South Africa through broadcast through, and I'd say even higher, broadcast through of their matches, sponsorship around uh, Annually, the national team. or over the four-year cycle. Over the four-year yeah. cycle. Well, and, 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 and that's hundreds and, of millions. And distributions yeah. coming in from the ICC. Yeah. Those are the three key revenue areas, and they're all related to the national team. So you've got a national team is about to take on England here at home, a, a huge series. Um, it's also a series where where the team has to do well in the test series because we are lying pretty much lost in the ICC test table, the new ICC test championship, um, with zero points. Um, so we have to do well against England. Now, to start preparing team structures, etc., cetera, uh, two weeks before a team, uh, a, a team is due to start a big series is not ideal. So that's a very urgent uh, problem that he's got to iron out. Um, the second one is the larger uh, one around the business of the game. The you know the the, the absolute crisis that we're in financially, um, 
from a governance point of view, from a um, stakeholder point of view, and I include the sponsors, that there are issues with the broadcaster, the biggest broadcast in the country, Supersport, um, has had issues with Cricket South Africa going back as long as we have. Um, these are all things that need to be fixed, need to be repaired, and that, and, and that is going to be a, a big ask, and it's also going to be about developing relationships of trust or trying to, trying to fix the relationships of trust. Mm. And whether that can be done by Jacques alone or whether it needs to be done by having a new board in place, um, you know, these are, these are the issues that are going to start coming out. I mean, the, the next negotiation for international broadcast rights is due to start early next year, I understand it. Who, who represents South Africa there? I mean, Jacques Falls acting CEO. Um, does he start those negotiations and someone else takes over? Someone's got to go and sit with those broadcasters who own the rights and, and try and iron out a great deal for South Africa, as best deal as they can. Yeah, correct. I mean, that is a big thing coming up. I mean, that is, if you take one single contract over the four-year period. In fact, the last deal was for eight years, so it spanned two four-year cycles. It is the biggest deal. It's a dollar-based deal, um, and it is the biggest source of, of revenue. So that has to be sorted out in the next few months. Um, you know, what cricket desperately needs is stability. And you know, over the last year, even more, what we've seen is just acting appointments. Mm. Acting appointments, jobs chopping and changing, people being suspended, um, no real uh, stability, just lurching from one con- uh, crisis to the next. We desperately need stability. Well, we could talk for hours on this. Fall is obviously in there, and, and by all accounts, he's a very good administrator. Um, uh, everyone says so. Is your experience with him always been positive? Yes. Uh, um, you know, He's been the, the CEO of the Titans, um, and he's also been the acting CEO of Cricket South Africa when they had their last crisis. Uh, so yes, I mean, very, very um, uh, respected, experienced, um, competent administrator. You know, we'll see what comes out of our dealings uh, with him. Um, you know, uh, yes, there's a new leadership, but we still have to stick to our principles. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got issues that need to be resolved, and um, I just hope that they can be resolved with a, a new approach, not just by Jacques, but by um, you know, whoever is making the calls at Cricket South Africa. And there's a forensic audit that could take months uh, to be done. That could be an interesting outcome, what, what's found there. Um, you know, do you expect that in the next year to see a completely different leadership in South African cricket? Not, uh, I mean, permanent leadership, not acting leadership. I hope so, uh, Craig. I, I think that's the only way to survive. I think you're going to have ongoing issues, unhappiness, rumbling from the stakeholders unless that happens. Quite how deep that change needs to go is a matter of um, debate. Um, but w- we need to restore confidence in, in the game, and that, that needs to happen. Um, several uh, big issues need to be ironed out in the next uh, you know, few months. Um, and you talked about, uh, you referred to a forensic audit, very important that on the financial side, there are two very key things that need to happen. And they are, it's important that people understand the difference between those. The one is a forensic audit, and that needs to, that needs to be independently done, hopefully yeah. by Cricket South Africa's auditors. Um, but that needs to look into how the money has, be, has been spent over the last two years or so. Um, that's an accountability issue. 
The second one needs to be a proper and genuine forecast of the four-year cycle and probably at least one year into the next cycle so that we can understand how sustainable the game is, how much trouble we're in uh, over the four years. Uh, what is that? What is that deficit? Is it 654? Is it a lower figure? Is it a higher figure? As I mentioned, you know, you need to understand the size of the problem in order to introduce any solution. You know, how deep do we have to cut? Uh, how much more revenue do we have to earn? These are these are all driven by one thing. They all go back to how big is the deficit, and can we rely on that deficit as being accurate? Yeah. Is it are the assumptions around the revenue correct? Um, and are we all comfortable that that's the size of the problem? Once we understand that, then the process of restructure, cost cutting, revenue generation needs to be addressed. Tony Irish, it's your second last day in the job as SACA president. You're heading off to England to take over the equivalent job for the English Players Association. And um, you just had enough of South Africa? Or was it just an opportunity? It wasn't the last two weeks that drove you there, was it? <laughs> no, it's not. Um, I was offered this job. Um, back in June, July. Um, and it is the biggest job in what I do in the world of cricket. Um, the PCA, the English Players Association, is the biggest players association by number um, in the world of cricket. Um, they are, there are very important times ahead also in English cricket. Pos- there's a very positive environment there, but there are also challenges. Um, so I've been asked to lead the Players Association through that. Um, it didn't have anything to do with me um, saying I was effectively hutful here. Mm. I, in fact, said to the PCA when they offered the job to me is the condition was that I would only start in January because I wanted to try and do as much as I could to sort out the problems here before I left. Um, I think we've gone a, quite a long way to sorting them out, but there's still um, you know, the challenges that need to be finalized. Um, we, I'm leaving a very good team. Um, here in charge of, of Saka, Andrew Britsky, the new CEO, is a very experienced um, leader and, and, and man in cricket. He's been working with me for five or six years. Um, David Becker, who will be consulting to us, um, is a very experienced uh, man in the game. He was the ex-head uh, of the ICC legal uh, department. Um, and of course, we have our players executive led very, very well by Umpela Romela, who's a, still a contracted player, but an incredibly important leader for us um, amongst the players and on our players' executive, uh, together with guys like Fahan Behadin, um, Kai Zondo, um, Mignon Dupri. These are, these are players, respected players, who are elected by the players. Um, mm. And effectively, they work with us closely on, on all of these issues. So... I think we're in, we're in a strong position. People may say that um, I'm leaving at a very difficult time. Yes, that's true, but we leave a very strong team. I leave a very strong team behind me. Well, Tony, great to have you. Good luck. Thanks for everything. We could have got into a lot more detail. Good luck with the new challenge, and um, let's hope South African cricket finds a way out of this uh, mess it's in. Yes, Craig, I'd, I'd just like to say one last thing, and that is I think that everyone in cricket needs to be concerned, and everyone needs to – get together to try and find solutions here. And at the end of the day, you if you project forward, whether that's one or two years or three years, and we've either fixed the problems or we've or the game's effectively 
gone the wrong way and maybe even have collapsed. People need to ask themselves, what side of history do you want to end up on? Do you want to end up on the side that really try to change things, do what is the right thing for the game? Or do you want to end up on the side of the people who were complicit or turned a blind eye to this? That is the case in many of our walks of life, I think, in South Africa, but it's definitely the case in cricket. On that powerful note, Tony Irish, thanks so much. This weekend, we're watching the Cape Town Sevens with the Blitzboxer aiming to make it two in a row after winning the season-opening Dubai event the previous week. Women also make their debut at Cape Town, adding to the superb three days of rugby. This was also our last podcast of the year, so please join us in the new year for interviews and insights from sports' biggest insiders. And don't forget to sign up for the Maverick Sports newsletter and to become a Daily Maverick insider and support quality independent journalism. I'm Craig Ray. Thanks for joining us on the Maverick Sports Podcast.